Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. We step out of our busy lives this morning, full of the decisions and the distractions of this life that we may consider eternity together. It is the last day of the year, and no one knows how many more of those days we will get. And it is right for us to consider eternity. What will eternity be like? What will the new earth be like? None of us have been there. You haven't been there, I haven't been there, and everyone we know that has gone there has not come back to tell us of what it is like. We stand on the other side of a great divide, of a veil that is impenetrable, of a chasm that separates this world from the next, and perhaps we would say then that we cannot know for sure. Perhaps you would say with your mind that you can know for sure, but in your emotions you would say i'm not i'm not sure that i know for sure what eternity is like but friends this is not true we can know what eternity is like we can as surely as this book is true as surely as the one who wrote it is true as surely as the one who came from heaven that he could take us back to heaven is true as surely god is god and god has spoken we can trust what he says. And he has told us what eternity is like. Now, this may feel disconnected from your life in some way. You may come in carrying this burden or that burden or this concern or that thing. And Ken, why would we take time on eternity when there's so much to think about here? And yet the Lord gave us this book in which he calls us to set our minds on the things that are above. He does not seem to be concerned that we would be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. In fact, the way that the scripture works, it encourages us to be more heavenly minded that we may be more earthly good. And so for the sake of our joy, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of our godliness, let's consider this morning eternity. We're called to think of it. Revelation 21 and 22 are the most extensive description of the new earth that are given in the Bible. As we're going to read here in a moment, we're going to see that, that the new earth is described both as the bride of Christ and also as the new Jerusalem. This could be confusing to us. It's not the first time in Revelation that things have seemed confusing as we've looked at it. It's spoken of as a people and as a place because, in fact, it is going to be both. There's a, there's a people of God that's being described. And the place where we gather is also being described all in one thing. So the next few weeks, we're going to take time on the same passage to consider different facets or different aspects of this holy city, of this new earth. And, and the first one this morning, the new earth, is a holy place. The, the heavenly city 
is a holy city. We're going to consider that this morning as we look at Revelation 21. I'm going to be reading verse 9 through the end of the chapter, so go ahead and find verse 9 and follow along as I read God's Word. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. He measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, Father, we pray, yes, that you would give us understanding of your word. Yes, that you would help us to think about eternity, but we pray that you would prepare us for eternity. That this would not be uh, an intellectual exercise only, but that by your spirit, you would be at work in each one of us, fitting us for this day and this place. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to consider this under two headings this morning. The first, a holy city. A holy city. 
verse 9, the angel comes to John and says, hey, come here. I've got something I want to show you. Come here. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So up to now, John is hearing the angel say that, right? The angel's talking to him, says, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. John then follows the angel, and for the first time, he sees. And what he sees is this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the first word he uses to describe that city is holy. It is the holy city. Any word could have been put there. John fills two chapters with words describing this place. Lots of words could fit, but one word summarizes all. One word is the appropriate introduction to this city. One word captures what captured John when he looked at the city. And the word is holy. It is the holy city. Now holiness is the most exalted characteristic in Scripture. Nothing is higher than holiness. Holiness describes perfection. And it describes perfection in two different ways. You're probably already thinking of the first one. So holiness describes perfection in terms of moral perfection. That is to say, to be holy is to be righteous and good and upright and without sin and without wrong and without evil. So, so holiness is a, is a moral perfection. But there are two kinds of perfection in holiness. One is that moral perfection, and, and the, the second is the perfection of completion, which is to say God's holiness describes the reality that God is everything God should be. He has everything which is good and right and fitting about him. And he lacks nothing. And everything that he has about him is in the right proportion and to the ultimate degree. So it's the holiday season. And so I pulled out from under the couch my puzzle board. You have a puzzle board? You know what I'm talking about? This is so that you can do the puzzle on the kitchen table, but not take up the kitchen table for three months while you wait to get to the puzzle, right? Do it on a puzzle board. You slide it under the couch when you're not using it. So I slid it out, and we sat around, and we've been working on this puzzle. Now, I'm really concerned as we do this because the last time it was slid under the couch with the same puzzle on it was the summer. And we have two dogs and vacuum cleaners and children. And I am very concerned that that puzzle, having sat there since the summer, we'll now be missing some pieces. And we're doing the puzzle still, but we're kind of expecting that at the end, we're going to have one or two or ten missing pieces. And if you're a puzzle person, you know. You know. That's terrible. It's terrible. Like, ugh. There's something that we, that we actually understand when we look and see this beautiful picture and there are missing pieces it's not perfect. Holiness is having all the pieces rightly arrayed. This is who God is. He is perfect in all of his ways. 
and all the ways that he has are the right ways to have. So holiness is the most exalted characteristic in all of Scripture. And I don't mean it to say like, like the Scripture would compare holiness to love or something like that. You, you cannot compare these things. Here's why. Because holiness is to have all the right attributes in the right degree. So to be holy is to be loving. If you didn't have love, you wouldn't be holy. You have to have love because it's one of the perfect attributes. And God has it in the ultimate degree, which is what makes him holy. So part of being holy is his love. Part of his holiness is his joy. Part of his holiness is his peace. So it's having all of these things in the right proportion and in the proper degree. That is the holiness of God. Friends, it's intense. The holiness of God is intense. The angels that, that surround the throne, that forever live to praise Him, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is heaven's cry. They have to shield their eyes as they do so. They were created for His presence and they cannot look upon him in his holiness. Similarly, when, when Moses spoke to God and said, show me your glory, and God says, no, it would kill you. No man can look upon my face and live. And the scripture says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, and that we should worship him with reverence and awe. Because he is a consuming fire. That speaks to the blazing power of the holiness of God. The temple in the Old Testament, we may think it was there so that God could dwell with his people. Yes, that's why it was there. But the reason it was the way it was, with walls and boundaries and veils and different spaces is so that God's people wouldn't be consumed by the holiness of God. The temple existed to protect the people outside from the holiness on the inside. God's holiness is an intense holiness. Last kind of theme on His holiness is just the relationship between His holiness and His glory because we're going to see that word glory here in the text in a second. What is, what is the glory then of God? God's glory is His holiness made visible. It's, if God's holiness is a lamp, His glory is the light that shines out from it. It's such a pathetic picture if His holiness were the sun, His glory is that radiant light and heat ever pouring out from the sun that you cannot look at or cannot get too close to because so great is His holiness, that great is His glory that shines out from Him. God's glory is, is the overflow of radiance that comes from the holiness of God. Back to our text. 
verse 10. The angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So here is the holy city, and it has the very glory of God, which is to say it is radiant and bright and shining forth. Where does this glory come from? What's the source of all of this light pouring out of the city? The source is the holiness of God with which this city is imbued. Verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. A, a most rare jewel. John is trying to describe for us what this looks like. And he, he considers a jewel catching the light of the sun and, and it sparkles and there's colors and brilliance and it's hard to even look at at times. And yes, that's, that's the city that he sees coming down radiant like this rare jewel. And then he says, it's like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now I had to look this up. A jasper is a precious stone. It's, it can vary in color somewhere between yellow to orange to red. It's beautiful. You can Google it. You can look it up, right? It's beautiful. But it's not clear at all. You can't see through it in any sense. So what is, what is John doing here? He's trying to put glory on paper. He's trying to capture iridescence, iridescence with text. And so he finds a word like a grocery bag, and he takes that word and he opens it up. He just starts to stuff a bunch of things into that word until the word is like bulging and deformed and can hardly hold the weight of this thing. He calls it jasper, but that doesn't even fit. There is no jasper that's clear as crystal. John knows that. But he's trying to communicate iridescence through human language. And he's just straining. Here's a word. Let's fill this up. I can't, I can't find enough words to describe what it is that I'm seeing. So radiant is the holiness of this city that human language is faltering under the load to communicate it. Verse 18, he tells us again of this city. The city was pure gold, clear as glass. Now, I have a gold ring on. Any gold I've ever seen is roughly this color. I've never seen clear gold. And again, John knows that. And so he's communicating something of pricelessness of value, of worth, as gold is the most you know, priceless and, and worthy of the metals. But something of iridescent holiness in the clarity of it. There is no shadow. There's no shade. It's all light. It's all beauty. It's all holy. He continues his tour of illumination in verse 23. 
and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. No need of sun or moon. Sun and the moon, these are part of the first earth. All right, we're talking about the new earth. The, the sun is part of the first earth. Praise God, it's shining outside right now. It's a beautiful day. If we were to go outside and you were to look up at it, you would find that you couldn't look at it for more than two, three seconds. And even that would probably be a little long. Because so bright is that celestial orb that we cannot even gaze on it for long. And if you stand out in it too long, maybe not in December, but certainly in June, you're going to get burned. The sun is a pointer to this. The sun is given in the first earth that we might think ahead to the next earth. What lights the next earth? The glory of God lights the next earth. There's no need of sun. Put the sun in the next earth and it would be dark as night in comparison to the glory of God flooding the new earth. Next time you look at the sun, remember that which it points to. Just something far greater than itself. Passage ends by affirming the reality of holiness in this city, verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is nothing unclean ever in the new earth. No spot, spot, no blemish, no imperfection, no incompleteness. There's no sin, and there's no missing puzzle pieces to the new earth. There is the holy city, radiant in glory. Number one, a holy city. Number two, a holy people. A holy people. The eternal city is infused with holiness. The holiness of God radiates as a kind of shining glory throughout the metropolis. It's on every street corner, on every building wall, down every alleyway. There's, there is nowhere for darkness to be whatsoever in this new city. All is light. All is radiant. Shadows have nowhere to hide. They, they, the shadows can't even... They just, they're just not. There's no shadows. Heaven is a holy heaven. And there is no heaven which is not holy. There is no heaven which is not holy. Some people imagine that they want to go to heaven. Do they? They might enjoy a heaven of their own design. A heaven of, could be sinful amusement, worldly pleasures, unholy entertainment. A heaven where you could use others for your own pleasure. 
step on others for your own achievement. Where wicked thoughts can flourish, coarse speech can go unchallenged, selfish ambition can be pursued. But there's none of that in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. There is no sexualized entertainment. There is no crude joking. There is no self-glorifying. There's no indulging of hidden lusts. There's no pursuing forbidden pleasures. These visions of heaven are but fantasies of the sinful mind. They are not the heaven that exists. The heaven that exists is holy. And there is no heaven that is not holy. And so those who love sin, those who spend their days in its embrace, those who would coddle it and hide it and pursue it and love it, they have no desire for this heaven. They have no fitness for this heaven. And they have no inheritance in this heaven. As it says in verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who then has this inheritance? Only one answer makes sense. The holy city belongs to a holy people. Holy city belongs to a holy people. A people who are made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Those are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are those whom, whom God wrote down before He started the world. Their names in His book that they might be saved from their sins. These are those for whom Christ suffered and bled and died. He was their substitute on the cross. He took their sins upon himself. He's given them his righteousness. These are those who have repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel, looked upon him. In short, I'm just describing a Christian, but I'm trying to describe it biblically. A true Christian. When a Christian becomes a Christian, when they're made a, a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit, see, it's not just praying a prayer that does it. Praying a prayer does not a Christian make. The power of the Holy Spirit a Christian makes. Pray for it. When they're made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, in that moment, God credits the righteousness of Christ to them. In that moment. It's, it's as though they, they, they take the robe from Christ and they put it around themselves. They wear His righteousness. This is what it is to become a Christian. There's, a, there's no earning anything going on here. It is receiving from Christ His own righteousness. And God looks upon this brand new Christian, sees them, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and says, righteous. He declares them righteous. The biblical word for this is justification. They are justified by God. 
Justification is a, is a declaration by God that happens when you're first saved. It's final. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. It doesn't depend on how your week went this week or how your year goes in 2024. You are as justified now as you will ever be if you are in Christ. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. And praise God, it cannot be earned. Justification is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and I hope you know it. We are saved. That is to say, we are granted access into this holy city because of the work of Christ, not because of our own work. This is the gospel. Yet there is something else which comes with this gospel. There's something else that comes with it. Yes, the gospel is strong enough to save the worst of sinners. Praise God. Yes, it opens the door. It alone opens the door to the eternal city. Praise God. But the gospel, here's the often overlooked fact. The gospel, which is strong enough to declare us holy, is also strong enough to make us holy. When we are first saved, God begins a work. He doesn't leave us like he found us. He begins a work. Maybe, maybe you look back and maybe that work was rather dramatic. Maybe it wasn't. Whether it was dramatic or not, he began that work on that day. For some, it was addictions just, boom, lost their power. Sins just, boom, forsaken on that first day. But then from then on, it's this gradual growth in godliness. A gradual growth. As believers grow, we long for holiness. We long to be more godly. There's a, there's a war within there's the Spirit of God enters in and stirs up a love for holiness and a hatred for sin, which we didn't know before until the Spirit of God moved in. And so, from one day to another, one month to another, one year to another, 2023 to 2024, God's people grow in godliness, in righteousness, and in holiness. This is a progressive work. This is not an all-at-once kind of thing. It's a gradual thing. It's a process. It's called sanctification. Whereby, over time, God uses our efforts to make us more godly. Did you hear how I said that? God uses our efforts to make us more godly. Nobody gets sanctified without God. And nobody gets sanctified without effort. God uses our efforts to make us more godly. We contribute to sanctification. It's a war that we're called to join, a fight in which we must engage, a battle which is here whether you like it or not. And we're called to engage in it. There is sin to forsake and godliness to pursue. Good deeds to put on and bad deeds to repent over. There are means of grace to walk in, like receiving communion, together, like sitting under the preaching of God's Word, like fellowshipping with believers, like reading your Bible, like private prayer, means of grace that God will use to make you more like Him. So here, 
is the lifelong work of the Christian. Growth in holiness. Lifelong work. So how can you tell a Christian from a non-Christian? Is it by their perfection? No. Never. Not on this side of the grave. Not by perfection. But by growth in holiness. Both the believer and the unbeliever sins. But the unbeliever is at peace with their sin. The believer is at war with their sin. Believer longs for sin's presence to be removed. Longs to become more like Christ. All right, so we have from God, believers, two gifts, justification and sanctification. We have justification, all of God, all at once, all because of Christ. And we have sanctification. We partner with God in a progress over time to become more like Christ. So then, who is the one who is justified? I can tell you, you can find them. They are the one who's being sanctified. There's the proof of that justification. Look hard. Do you see sanctification? You found one who's justified. Who is the one becoming sanctified? I can tell you who that is. That is the one who's justified. Because nobody can become sanctified on their own. That takes the power of God. That takes the work of the Spirit. That takes the finished work of Jesus Christ still at work within us. So, who will inhabit the holy city? It is those who are justified, declared righteous by God. And those becoming sanctified, being made righteous by God. So what does this text call us to, church? Heaven is a holy place, inhabited by holy people. And we are called to holiness. We are called to holiness. Would you be fit for heaven? Then first of all, if you haven't turned to Christ, turn to Him this morning. Turn to Him this morning. Listen, it, it, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Do you have a, an interest in holiness? No? Then you have no interest in Christ. None. Don't, don't deceive yourself. You have no interest in this place that we are describing, and you have no part in this place we are describing. Because it is a place of holiness for those pursuing holiness by the power of Christ. If that is not you, then get on your knees and repent. And look to Christ, who alone can make you holy, and who alone can forgive every sin. If you've done that, friends, church, if we are to be made more fit for heaven, then let us grow in holiness. What should we be about in 2024? A growth in holiness. What's the proper work of the believer? Growth in holiness. What's the day-by-day -day effort, the week-by-week -week goal, the month-to-month -month pursuit that we may become more like Jesus 
that we would grow in holiness. And by this, you show yourself to be his disciple. Heaven is a holy city. And the only heaven is a holy heaven. And it will be for a holy people. Now you may be discouraged by this concept. You may be discouraged, and I would imagine there are many here, who so aware of your own sin, this could just shrink you down to the grave. So let me point your eyes to the one who went to that grave already for you and remind you of his work. Jesus is enough for you. He is. So when the, when the law thunders from a pulpit, when holiness gets propounded as it should be, then let us believers hide ourselves in Jesus Christ. Let, us, let it drive us to Him with fresh sorrow over our sin and fr- fresh amazement at what He's done, even for me, even for you. We're called to be holy. That may discourage you for a different reason because you're aware of something that means you have to give up. Some hidden pleasure that has to go. What of these things that I love over here? For you, this is stern warning. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. The one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, believer, forsake the trifles and pursue the Holy One of Israel. Finally, I have good news for those pursuing holiness. You know what it is for the believer to pursue holiness? This is like my favorite part right here. You know what it is for the believer to pursue holiness? It's to pursue holiness and find happiness. How about that? How about that? Because God made you to find joy in being godly. That's how he made you. He made you to be blessed, to be happy as you become more like Jesus. So, Would you get on this road, and I'm not saying it's an easy road. It's a battle, it's a war, it's a difficult road. Would you get on this road of pursuing holiness? I tell you, there's a good destination up ahead. And I tell you also, it's good along the way. Because the one who pursues holiness finds happiness in Christ. What is the name of this city, by the way? This holy city that's iridescent in holiness. What's its name? It's called heaven, is it not? It's paradise, is it not? Doesn't sound too bad. Sounds pretty happy. Not a lot of crying going on. One perpetual, joy-filled celebration from one end to the other for all eternity. Heaven's a happy place, friend. You can taste of it today as you taste more and more of holiness. Would you be holy? Praise God. He will grant you a happiness beyond your circumstances.
Would you be happy? Then pursue holiness. Because he made you to be happy as you become more like Jesus. What a good calling this is. The eternal city is a holy city. And the eternal city is a happy city. So may all his church pursue holiness. That we may be better fit to see him on that day. And may he grant us his Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do this alone. To make us more holy as we head into this new year. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Lord, there are there are sins to confess, and we do so now. Which of us can get near to the blazing presence of God and not and not be affected by the heat and the light? So we come humbly before you. Forgive us our trespasses. We pray. And Lord, I, I pray that as we do that, that Holy Spirit, would you, would you do the full work of conviction? Don't hold back. Do the full work of conviction that we need. But keep us from condemnation. Lift up our eyes afresh that we may behold Christ as a most gracious, wonderful, glorious Savior who has taken away all our sins, even the ones we confess this morning. May you receive our praise now as we worship. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.